AgriTalk is brought to you by Full Scale from Helena. Grow Strong returns this season with breakthrough foliar nutrition from Full Scale at Reproduction. And by Propane. Propane is the energy for everyone, especially farmers. Environmentally friendly propane can fuel most anything on the farm. See how at propane.com. The grain markets are rebounding as the volatility volley continues. Our panel is ready to swing in to conversation about rail, the GOP in the House, Russia, China COVID stuff, and a host of other topics, including whatever. Live from the last day of non-Thanksgiving week via Farm Journal broadcast, this is AgriTalk. This morning, it's our Friday for Reaper Hull. Panelists Jim Wiesmeyer and Real Ag Radio's Sean Haney. Right after the news, Jennifer Scheich from Farm Journal's Pork. Welcome to the program this morning, everybody. I'm Davis Michelson in for Chip Flory, who, in fact, will return this afternoon. He's been out scampering about the Midwest. I'm sure he'll have lots to talk about when he joins us this afternoon. So make sure and tune in for that at 206 Central Time. Uh, markets yesterday had a rough day and even rougher day before that. But looky here, corn is up three to four cents. Soybeans up double digits. The entire bean complex, in fact, meal and oil as well, higher on the day. Uh, wheat futures, I'm, I'm calling them narrowly mixed, I guess, with the soft red up just above unchanged. Hard red just below unchanged, and the spring wheat, same deal, just slightly below unchanged. But looky here, the fat cattle market has turned positive. We've got the December contract up just a nickel, so okay, but, you know, corn is higher. Here we got fat cattle higher. Now, of course, your feeder cattle, uh, which, as Brian Grady pointed out in yesterday's update at the bottom of the hour, tend to be a bit more sensitive to the corn market. They're lower. Lean hog futures lower. I want to talk to Jennifer Scheich about some holiday stuff when it comes to pork. I know that turkey is, you know, it's turkey day. Turkey day is coming up, but um, there may be some availability issues, some expense issues. Pork may be a really good option for your Thanksgiving table this year if you have not yet uh, purchased your main course. So we'll talk with Jennifer Scheich about that from Farm Journal's Pork. Um, and then, of course, the, the free-for-all. We've got some news, sort of, on the rail stuff. We've got, uh, well, Speaker Pelosi has made a, a big announcement. Well, of course, I don't know if it was necessarily her choice or not. But um, we'll talk about the shakeup in the House and where we can expect the Senate to fall. And uh, much, much more. Jim Wiesmeyer, Sean Haney join on my panel this morning. So... Let's get to this morning's news and then to Jennifer Scheich. The two biggest rail worker unions are expected to conclude voting this weekend on a deal brokered by the White House to stave off a rail strike. Shipping challenges continue to make life difficult for farmers and sellers who need to move commodities to overseas markets. Mike Seifert, president and CEO of the National Grain and Feed Association, says the falling levels on U.S. waterways puts the threat of a potential railroad strike at almost perfect storm level. Well, you figure 25% of the grain and oil seeds, bulk commodities are moved by rail. And then you add in almost an equivalent number of cars are moved when you combine flour, biofuels, 
ethanol, DDGs, soy meal. It's a huge impact from both a moving product for export, moving product for processing, moving product for feeding animals. It would be a significant impact very quickly. I mean, you saw the challenges we had earlier in the year. Imagine shutting down the whole, basically the whole system. Well, the Creighton University Rural Main Street Index fell below growth neutral for the sixth consecutive month. The Economic Confidence Index plummeted to its lowest level since 2020. Despite the weaker rural outlook, only 14% of the CEOs say their bank had increased financial commitments on farm loans. Farmland demand remains strong as the farmland price index climbed above 50 for the 26th consecutive month. A new Energy Information Administration report clearly shows higher ethanol blends helped moderate fuel prices after the Ukraine invasion. The report also says the ethanol blend rate hit a record summer average of 10.5%. In a separate report, EIA also said ethanol output dropped to its lowest level in more than a month and inventories dropped during the weekend of November 11. Uh, The agency also said U.S. natural gas inventories are back to typical levels And that eases some concerns about availability this winter. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi is to step down as leader of the Democratic Party in the House of Representatives, a position she's held since 2003. Pelosi, aged 82, was first elected to her California congressional seat during a 1987 special election. She will continue to serve as a representative for her Californian district. Hey, sheep producers, the American Lamb Board is working with the American sheep industry to create a new task force to develop a sheep sustainability report. The report will represent the sheep industry's commitment to sustainability and the industry's existing practices and goals for continuous improvement in animal care, environmental stewardship, social impacts, and industry productivity. The FDA-approved lab-grown chicken for the first time, green-lighting products from startup Upside Foods for human consumption. Meanwhile, Beyond Meat announced it would lay off 19% of its staff last month, and retail sales in the plant-based meat industry overall have dropped 10% in the past year. Not, I think not, not the uh, solid start that the lab-grown meat industry was looking for. I'm just wondering how many people would try it. If they, if they made it good enough, if it tasted good, would you try it? Hit us at uh, hashtag Agritalk on Twitter with your thoughts on, I mean, what if it's really good? What if it tastes really good? Apparently, this this is made from actual chicken cells grown in the lab. I don't know. I, I, we'll talk with our panel about this as well. Right now, let's, <laughs> let's get to Jennifer Scheich and talk about some real meat uh, you know I'm a fan of pork. Jennifer Scheich from Farm Journal's Pork. Welcome to AgriTalk this morning. How are you? I'm doing good. That's terrific. Um, you mentioned the give a ham challenge in the pork industry. Can you give us some details? What are we talking about here? Well, I always look forward to the give a ham challenge because, you know, food insecurity is a major concern in the U.S. And I think it's easy to to kind of lose sight when you're in your own comfortable 
world here in agriculture, you know, for, for us, it, our, our freezers are full of, of meat, but for a lot of people, um, that's something that they're missing. And so this challenge that the National Pork Producers Council puts on every year is just a reminder to us to always be giving, but particularly now through the holidays, when, when budgets are even tighter, one thing we can do to help out people is to simply give a ham. And so we're just encouraging people to, to donate a ham to an organization or food pantry of their choice that is trying to help people who are hungry. Well, that's a terrific idea, um, especially if we're talking about high turkey prices. Um, and and here we've got the pork cutout value falling, uh, pressure on all cuts except hams and butts. But movement is pretty slow. Um, any idea on demand for pork for holiday meals this year? I'm thinking Thanksgiving most particularly. Well, I, I think we are going to see some uptick because right now the cost of turkey and the availability of it is a, is a challenge and the cost is high. And so I think you're going to see more people choosing to go pick up a ham and maybe do a, a holiday ham for Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. I know that our family, like whenever we have a chance to eat ham, we do. And so that's what we'll be doing both the Christmas and Thanksgiving. But It sounds, sounds absolutely delicious. Jennifer Scheich from Farm Journal Sport, <laughs> thanks for your time this morning. Thank you. Yeah, uh, I was at the grocery just the other day, and uh, the guy was saying, well, this is going to be our last round of big turkeys. We'll get some more small turkeys in next week, maybe telling the customer you probably better get your order in early. We're going to have the free-for-all coming up next. We'll talk with Jim and Sean about all this. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. AgriTalk is brought to you by the NRCS Conservation Stewardship Program, which cost shares more than 150 practices on farms and ranches. Visit your local service center or farmers.gov today. Welcome back to AgriTalk, everybody. Love to start my day with a heaping bowl of Van Halen. You betcha. Davis Michelson here on AgriTalk. In for Chip Flory. Chip will be back this afternoon, but we got to keep the boat a sailing here. I've got uh, the usual suspects, Jim Wiesmeyer from Pro Farmer and Sean Haney from Real Ag Radio. Let's bring in Sean. Good morning, Mr. Haney. How's everything up north? Hey, it's, it's doing pretty good, Davis. I, I'm glad I don't live in Buffalo, which is, you know, that could be a bit of a common thread that people say uh, a lot of times, but four <laughs> feet of snow? In areas yeah. of New York, oh my! Yeah. I, what do you do with four feet of snow? That's like batting down the hatches. Uh, we're losing power, and we may be here for a while. Kind of weekend. Yeah, 
That's like dig your way out of the house type of deal so you can dig your way out into the world. That's it's just too much snow. That's that's the the the, the Bills play a home game on Sunday. That, that is going to be wild to watch. There'll be snowball <laughs> fights in the stands. It'll be great. Ah, oh, it it sounds like like great fun for some. Jim Weismeyer, uh you, you getting any snow over there in DC, buddy? Oh, I'm in St. Louis to attend a family wedding, and I'm looking forward to the uh, meal because it's going to be at Anheuser-Busch Brewing Company, and it's uh, the theme is going to be St. Louis food. So that includes uh, St. Louis ribs. So oh, wow. I want to challenge to them. Oh, and by the way, the thunder snow is so much now, it's five feet. Buffalo has moved their game from Sunday to Detroit. Oh, really? Wow. Yes. <laughs> You know the weather's rough when you move your game from Buffalo to Detroit. Shuffle <laughs> yeah, off to Detroit. Like, was <laughs> Miami taken? Like, you were not exactly getting better there. <laughs> Jim, you've traveled extensively, uh, and Haney, you can pipe in on this too. So you're looking forward to some, some St. Louis grub. Um, I would imagine you've sampled ribs from, from around rib country. Do you have a, do you have a favorite rib city? North Carolina State. Any ribs in North Carolina I like. Pulled pork is my okay. favorite. Okay. Yeah. What do you like? What do you like best about it? What makes it the, better? The flavor, I guess. It just I you know, St. Louis ribs are awfully good though. That's my close number two. But uh just around Charlotte, North Carolina, it's just something about their pulled pork. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Some a little bit of zip and zest. Like I, that's what I like is like a little bit of zip to it, a little bit of a spice. That's uh, that's my kind of rib. Zip and zest. That's two Z words. That's that's a strong <laughs> statement, my friend. A lot of alliteration over here today. <laughs> it's early for all this, bro. Well, yeah. as as long as we're talking about zip and zest, why don't why don't we just start with a softball here? And I did ask our listeners to weigh in on Twitter at hashtag Agritalk on the. Uh, the lab-grown meat. I, I guess we don't say fake meat. We say lab-grown meat to be uh, to be correct about it. But we've got FDA approving lab-grown chicken. This as Beyond Meat is struggling to stay afloat. Jim. Well, they keep on trying to find another uh, niche, you know, and uh, it depends on how it tastes. And I, I think the the uh, uh, um, the marketing of it is. Uh, it's it's non-livestock so they're taking a uh an environmental approach i guess to this one but the, it got some big funders bill gates uh tyson's uh etc but again as you announced uh beyond meat uh, what uh, you know laying off almost 20% of staff that's yeah. what happens in a recession okay yeah, and 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 beyond meat, of course, is a little bit more on the like that's more the plant based side, which to me is a little bit more of the fake meat. Mm-hmm. You know, this this is a little bit of a different category. It's, it's sort of like the ju- I think just is one of the other like is is in this space where you know, they're they're actually taking uh, basically the 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 makeup of 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 the animal and basically growing it in a petri dish and out. Which is it fake? Is it not fake? It, it, it's a real question. I think I'll stick with the real thing, but it'd be interesting to see sort of the side by side and the sort of like, remember like the old blind taste test. They would, was it Pepsi yeah. that used to do that? Yeah. Yes. It'd be kind of interesting yep. to, 
see. Um, Bloomberg had a really good story a couple weeks ago about how this whole category has really suffered because they've gotten too woke in their marketing. It's turned people off of the segment. Uh, and, and and so that we'll see if we'll see if we see some marketing shift in this category going forward in 23. Well, well I want to see if you can taste any difference after you've had a couple of drinks. It, it's sort of like <laughs> wine, right, Jim? Like when company comes over, you bring out the expensive bottle off the hop. And once they get into a few of them, you start to bring out the cheaper stuff because they can't tell the difference. Uh-huh. I agree. I actually uh-huh. agree. Yeah. It's a good strategy. It's a great strategy. Um, well, so if there's a difference between the the lab-grown meat, which is made from meat cells, apparently, and just plant-based meat for the sake of, well, we just don't want, want meat at all in our diet, I have to – I'm curious, Jim, there was a comment from USDA Secretary Tom Vilsack in regards to the Republicans now holding the uh, the, the House – where he said he believes climate change will remain on the agenda, even as some Republicans suggest the matter will be downplayed under GOP control of the chamber. The byline here is Vilsack, farmers to lead climate focus. Um, I know that there are a lot of buzz with sustainability and all this sort of stuff that are thrown around and they get a lot of eye rolls. Are farmers typically just sort of playing ball on the climate focus because that's the way the policies are going or are are farmers definitely buying in to a a genuine organic climate focus i don't know for how long they want to they want to see if come they want to see this uh vilsack keeps saying this could be the next revenue stream that's why you have the interest of farmers right there so it's more the industry is interested than the boots on the ground I, I think so. But again, they uh, far, at the farm le- farmer level, they want to see proof because they don't. They've been through some of these uh, programs, uh, you know, before, and but that they want to see solid proof that this is going to be income to them as opposed to the industry. Right. Well, and when it comes to where farmers fit on this pendulum of concern over, you know, the climate and issues and things like that, it doesn't have to be an all or none scenario. Um, you know, the industry has an opportunity to talk about a lot of the good things that it is doing uh, from a sustainability front. Uh, obviously, there is there is the the carbon market, as Jim was just talking about. But there's a lot of practices and opportunities to really showcase because I think there's a real lack of understanding in urban centers about some of the how, how concerned farmers are about sustainability because they're doing the stuff already. And in, in some cases, it's also, of course, uh, there's a ROI attached to it because there needs to be if you're going to have really big uptake once the government money stops flowing for uh, trying to get you to do those practices. So I think it's kind of an, it needs to be looked upon more as an opportunity to, to tell the story of egg. Well, and there, Jim, I, I agree with you that there, obviously there needs to be some sort of give back, follow the money. That's, that's the way that's, it makes the world go around as, as they say, but when it comes to climate, is there risk that farmers kind of, just latch on to the idea, hey, we've got all these urban people who live in these concrete deserts telling us that we, the farmers, are wrecking the climate with agriculture. Could there be some pushback against the climate movement on those lines? 
Well, farmers are used to that pushback, so they want to be paid for that pushback right now, and that could be it. From the, for, I think what Vilsack was kind of alluding to was the House Ag Committee uh, will definitely have him up next year at a hearing to uh, to uh, kind of penetrate how he used billions of dollars by tapping the Commodity Credit Corporation, uh, and I mean several billion uh, dollars for this climate smart ag without any consultation uh, with uh, you know Capitol Hill and some uh, uh, other program needs. So I think that's the they're going after the revenue stream here to make sure that he doesn't continue that. Well, because- from that, go ahead, Sean. Right. Well, I was just going to say, because I guess what's the alternative, because we've seen the CCCB so tapped into, obviously, yes. this goes back to the 2016 election. So, like, what what do they do? <clears throat> Does there need to be better parameters or a tighter lane put around how money is used, whether it's used for, you know, handouts or it's used for something that, like a climate initiative? Like, what, what, I guess, what's the debate here going forward? And what are these hearings really going to to prove in the end if if things don't change. Well, several years ago, the Republicans put a constraint on uh, the Ag Secretary, uh, you, you know, you, you know, tapping the CCC for non-specified, uh, you know, payments. And while they better be careful doing that, I think that there will be some uh, rail guards uh, on this one for the future. And this is why uh, foreign policy analysts tell me, rather than dramatically increasing the uh, maximum funding level for the CCC Charter Act from the current $30 billion maximum to 50 or 60 billion. Uh, They'd rather put it in the direct titles, like Title I. All right, come back for more AgriTalk. We're going to continue. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. Time for Markets Now with the experts from ProFarmer. And joining us now, of course, editor Brian Grady from ProFarmer. Brian Guy, uh, we've got kind of a a recovery, a turnaround here in the corn and soybeans, and I'm looking at the the meal and oil complex. Both of those higher, giving soybeans a boost. What gives? Yeah, so we we traded higher overnight, kind of hit a uh, soft patch early in the uh, daytime trade, and and now buyer interest is resurfacing again, Davis, and and being led by the soy complex. So uh, good solid gains across uh, soy oil, soy meal, and uh, soybeans are are posting double-digit gains right now and trading near session highs. So, um, you know, good good solid move to the upside here to finish up the week. Now, we're still down for the week in soybeans uh, and still rather, you know, significant losses uh, for the week uh, or 
or sharp losses for the week. Um, corn, it's trading to the upside as well here at mid-morning, uh, but it it's trading higher for the week. And, and so um, good solid gains in that market this week. And then wheat, uh, kind of a mixed tone here at mid-morning. Um, and, uh, you know, the winter wheat market's traded to the downside this week. Well, and you talked yesterday about the feeder cattle responding to the lower corn yesterday and moving higher, but now we've got fat cattle, feeder cattle moving higher alongside corn. Yeah, so in the uh, the live cattle market, uh, you know, direct reflection of the cash strength that we saw this week. So uh, $1 to $2 higher prices, still have some cleanup stuff to do. Uh, looking ahead to the, the cattle on feed report this afternoon, it will show inventories below a year ago for a second straight month. And, and uh, so, I, you know, I, I think that that's the, the buyer interest here in live cattle. Uh, feeders are just kind of following along. And then the, uh, the hog market, it's under moderate uh, pressure to close out the week, especially in those winter month contracts. Brian, you're staring down a week off. We uh, we won't have you next week. We'll miss you. Happy Thanksgiving, brother. Absolutely. Same to you. All right. That's Brian Grady on Markets Now. Opinions expressed on AgriTalk do not necessarily reflect the views of Farm Journal Broadcasting, affiliate stations, or sponsors. The truth is hard to come by these days unless you listen to AgriTalk. Indeed, and welcome back to AgriTalk, everybody. We are knee-deep in a Friday free-for-hell with Jim Wiesmeyer and Sean Haney. Uh, Haney, let me throw it over to you because um, I I want to give you a second. You you did a fascinating interview this week where you were talking about, you know what, Don't I don't want to butcher it. Why don't you talk to us about this climate stuff? I know you have a follow-up point here. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, it hit me as we went to commercial break uh, that I interviewed John Stackhouse, who's in the office of the CEO of the Royal Bank of Canada. Mm-hmm. And he was over at COP27. And we were talking about just kind of, you know, this whole climate discussion. And he pointed out as an outsider, you know, sometimes in the U.S., uh, can be a little bit too intrinsically focused um, on, on this issue. His comment was, that he was immensely impressed at the way that USDA and Secretary Vilsack, how they were moving on this issue from the standpoint of attracting investment into the, into the technology sector to deal with the climate issues. And the longer tale of that is having to get away from using things like sticks and using technology to really solve a lot of these issues that, and, and farmers are big on, on technology. The other point he made was that some of the advantages and the head start that the U.S. has in comparison to countries like Canada in terms of being able to make uh, claims on the global stage on things like soybeans and in marketing climate-friendly commodities, as he called them, in, in, in trying to gain market share in, in around the world where we do compete with, with each other. So it was kind of an interesting outside perspective that uh, I, I, we might want to be careful how much we push back on some of the things that USDA is doing on this front, because it sounds like they're having some success. Well, sure. And it, you know, we, do, we don't want to be just obstructionists and Luddites and, and throwing our wooden shoes into the machinery here, just because maybe we don't like some of the messengers or don't agree with some of the message. Uh, Jim, uh, I think Sean's exactly right that, that we would, we'd probably do well to at least consider uh, and not just throw the climate conversation out of hand and roll our eyes. Oh, absolutely. I agree. But again, bottom line, uh, to tap the CCC for billions of dollars without consultation, you don't know who the USDA secretary is going to be in the future. So that discretionary authority is important. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good point. 
let's let's keep it north of the border, Sean. I I don't know if you you were up on this or not. Apparently, Justin Trudeau crossed the line with Chinese President Xi Jinping in some way. Got him got himself a dressing down from Xi Jinping. A little bit of a scolding. Was, yeah. <laughs> It was interesting to watch. I, I, I was entertained by watching Trudeau's face through uh, all of that. I don't know what to make of it. Uh, Canada is China's sort of whipping boy, so to speak. Yeah. It, it, you know, it, it, there's so much ebb and flow in, in all of this. You know, we still can't ship beef to China since since last December when we had that uh, BSE case that all, all other countries have opened up since that. So there's a lot of friction between Canada and it continually happens. Um, you know, B- President Biden's discussion with Xi seems to be being covered as a real positive. You know, they're friends again. Uh, yeah. Remember yeah. back when Pelosi visited Taiwan, you know, would they ever talk again? Like, right. we, we make a lot of uh, about this, but uh, yeah, the, the friction, it, it could have more to do with the Indo-Pacific strategy and Canada joining into that than actually the Canadian press being leaked info on the conversation. Well, and it could have just been, dude, can we please keep our conversations private? It could have just been that, right? Which is legit for world leaders to say back and forth. Yeah, but it's also something that happens. You don't think all, so? All the time. Well, it, it's also something that happens all the time. Like mm-hmm. it, 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 a lot of these things, it's how it plays back at at home. And there was nothing that was, if it was leaked, there was nothing in that conversation that was really of any sort of uh, dramatic, like inside scoop. It's what you would expect they would talk about. It's just China being like a ten year old kid and being super sensitive. Yeah. Yeah. There's a word for it. It's called kerfuffle. Kerfuffle. That's uh, that's with two Fs, not a PH, correct, Jim? Kerfuffle. <laughs> yes. I want to get it right in a my minor, nose. A minor skirmish. Okay. <laughs> I like that. Well, as long as as long as the skirmishes are minor, uh, I'm I'm uh, I'm happy. Um, let's get to the rail situation, Jim. Two big rail worker unions expected to uh, do some voting this weekend on a deal brokered by the White House. Um, hopes to stave off a strike. What are, what's the latest? Bottom line, uh, we've got no strike until uh, or after December the 9th. All parties agree to that. I think this is clearly some of the unions who rejected it wants Congress to get into the act. And I think that's what's going to happen, uh, whether it's right away uh, rather than any any strike remains to be seen. But I think that's the bottom line. But the industry is really concerned about it for the reasons Mike Seifert told you. Do we so know? How, uh, go on. Sorry, Dave, I was just going to ask. So how does the how the Congress is now structured with Dems having the Senate and the Republicans having the how how, how does that impact Congress getting in, involved here? Well, it'll happen in the lame duck session. So it won't be any change from the makeup right now. Yeah. So going against the union, that that that's going to be interesting to watch how they how they yeah. steer through that. Then that, yes. there could be. We we had Agreed. a situation up here uh, in Canada and Ontario where the Ontario government uh, enacted the notwithstanding clause that basically makes it so education workers couldn't strike, and it's been this huge ordeal uh, about uh, power struggle between the politicians and unions. Mm. It, it, it kind of feel like it'd be the same discussion south of the border if this happens on rail, although there's a more of an economic number around it of a billion dollars a day. Yeah. It, it could be tough for some part, some parts of the Democratic Party to go against uh, people's ability to strike. Well, and Jim, what let's let's make it very practical. What are these workers holding out for? 
What do they what do they want? Well, so they want some more health care, uh, you know, provisions in there. And they want something, I think, beyond the negotiated settlement that the White House worked on. So anything they can claim victory if it's anything beyond that. So I think that's what I would look towards. But, you know, Congress hasn't bailed out the unions all the time uh, on in, in similar uh, uh, focused uh, rail strikes or other strikes. So it, it's a risky endeavor. Well, and the other part, too, is we've seen a lot of labor action uh, in the pandemic coming out of the pandemic as we move into I think kind of a new ground, which is more talk about recession, more layoffs. It's a little harder for the average American to get their head wrapped. Around, okay. Well, I, my neighbor lost his job or my brother lost his job. What what are you asking for here? Maybe you, maybe your deal's pretty good. Uh, yeah. We may see a little bit of a turn in the sentiment towards people's ability to uh, sort of use this kind of leverage. Well, this sure. There's that argument out there. The other and this will be settled one way or the other this in, in December. Yeah. Yeah, I was just going to say that there there has to be that thought out there. Well, at least you have a job, you know. Um, yeah, let's uh, Jim, let's go to this Creighton University Rural Main Street Index fell below growth neutral for the sixth consecutive month. Um, CEOs said just only 14 percent of the CEOs surveyed said their bank had increased financial commitments on farm loans and farmland demand remains strong, climbing for the 26th consecutive month. How do we uh, how do we rectify these two as the rural Main Street index seems to be falling and yet farmland uh, farmland is sticky at upper levels? Yeah, well, once we see that unemployment rate tick up and tick up, it will. And uh, to the spring or the middle of next year, I don't think there's any doubt anymore that the U.S. will be in a recession. And that's when I want to see that index. Well, Davis, I heard your interview yesterday about all this, and I, here's an important piece because I think a lot of times as we hear, you know, land prices continue to rise, mm-hmm. coffee shops uh, across uh, the, the rural heartland, people are like, ah, it's you know, it's hedge funds, investment funds, it's or it's China. Well, this this was farmers competing, yeah. and, and paying big, big dollar. Uh, <laughs> uh, that you know, there's there's a lot of land that don't pencil. That land don't pencil. Uh, right. And, and, and so I think this is a really interesting because uh, we have the same thing happening here. Uh, land has been the best investment over the past 25 years. That's why so much of the uh, the Wall Street is now interested in it. At some point, you have to service the debt. And, yes. and the, concer- the concern is, is that land value starts to tip a little bit, potentially, or mm-hmm. stall out. Mm-hmm. That's That's where you have a bit of a reckoning. And uh, Jim has talked about some of the concern from the banking sector from some of his speeches. So uh, this is something definitely to watch in 23. Absolutely. Well, and I've been skeptical for quite a while. A lot of these economic surveys come out and farmers say, oh, well, land will continue to be, to be supported by non-farmer investors. And and like you say, uh, Sean, just adding to the portfolio. But I'm not seeing that in the majority of cases uh, $30,000 per acre for land went to a farmer. The runner-up bidder was a farmer as well, Jim. <laughs> Top pickers get picked. <laughs> what, what I'd say on that. I would not, that's just an aberration. I mean, anybody with common sense, that was, had to be for another reason, because as Sean said, you can't pencil that out and not with rising 
interest rates. I, I, they must have a lot of money. That's all I'll say. Well, and that may be the case, perhaps aberrational, but there was one in, I forget what county, is it Riceville County? I'm sorry, Nebraska. I can't remember what county. Uh, it went for 27-4 um, with uh, an okay productivity rating, uh, right around 70. Um, but that one seems surprising to me as well. I don't know. But, uh, the, Sean, you're exactly right when you say it's it's got to pencil out. And uh, I think that's that's going to be the tricky part. And we may be headed for trouble. I don't know. That's that's really the first I've thought about that. I appreciate that thought. Um, let's let's get to uh, Speaker Pelosi. The big uh, capital T has made an appearance on the political stage. GOP takes the House. We really haven't talked much about any of this. Um, we're going to get into that and uh, whatever else we have time for. We may have to go lightning round when Agritalk returns with the Friday free-for-all. It's pro-farmer policy OG Jim Wiesmeyer. Real Ag Radio's Sean Haney and me, your pal Davis Michelson. Stick around for these words. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. Do you suffer from talking on the radio phobia? No problem. Send us a tweet at hashtag Agritalk. It's been quiet on the uh, hashtag Agritalk this morning. I did ask if anybody was interested in uh, lab-grown meat. No response. So I guess uh, I guess that's a yes. Huh? The farmers love it. Huh? Who knew? Hashtag Agritalk, everybody. Your pal Davis Michelson here. I'm just trying to get you stirred up a little bit. That's all. Um, hey, we're going to get back to the farmer forum, but first, uh, let's set off this morning's yields in the fields. Yields in the fields on Agritalk is brought to you by Microessentials from Mosaic, the science of more. Discover our proven products. Text yields to 31313. This morning, we head to Northeast in. Indiana. Hello, Indiana. Allen County, where a farmer writes, quote, I'm not real happy with our corn yields. I was expecting closer to APH, but we didn't get corn planted until late May, early June. Yields in the fields brought to you by Microessentials from Mosaic. All right. Jim Wiesmeyer, Sean Haney, my guests. Jim, uh, let's let's talk about the house. As I understand it, my scorecard says five seats in the house Still undeclared at this point. The score is Dems 212, GOP 218. Update us, please, sir. Well, it can be as high as, uh, what, 221 or 222 with all all remaining tip to the Republicans. Bottom line, it's still going to be modest 
modest control. But, you know, I uh, bottom line, I'm a little more upbeat that this will not be a stalemate D.C. because I see the centrist from both political parties getting together on some major pieces of needed legislation and to neuter the extremist in both parties. God, don't say that That's... word. It makes my dog very nervous, Jim. <laughs> you did that last week, too. You said the N word and it's not good. <laughs> They're better pets neutered. Ah, you said it again. <laughs> the Sean, have some thoughts quick. Get me out of here. Get yeah. me out of here. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what uh, conditions McCarthy has to give into for the sort of the radical part of the of the party in order for him to get the speakership. But I uh, heard a great discussion earlier this week where uh, the discussion was that when this happens, as Jim said, it, it it will drive McCarthy and other centrist Republicans to work with the other side of the aisle to pass legislation. Now, the question is, what will be their focus and where can they find some common ground? Uh, Jim was pretty confident about immigration a couple weeks ago. I'm not sure if that's what the file will be, but it'd be interesting to see how that develops. Jim? Well, yeah, I think the Democrats clearly want for a child tax credit, uh, some more increases or extensions there. And in return, they could they could give a little on border security, which could get you into uh, somewhat immigration reform. At least that's the in theory what could happen. So just don't get too down on this new Congress. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi to step down as leader of the Democratic Party in the House of Representatives. Jim, she's been there since 2003. Yeah, here's the signal both political parties should have gotten from this uh, from the midterms. They want generational change. And Pelosi is leading the Democrats to that. Uh, They're tired of the octogenarians. And I think you're going to see this eventually get on the Republican side as well. Everybody in leadership can't be over 80. Like at some point there, this is like farm succession, the way that we're, this is uh, transpiring there, there, there has to be some younger blood that is, is, is looking for their time. And, uh, and and we saw the Trump uh, announcement of his, uh, his, his election campaign. That was kind of a ho-hum affair. Like, I, I think there's a clear message here. Jim is very, very correct. Jim, I, Sean is right, and I feel like it would it's a, a healthy change that needs to take place. Maybe I'm wrong, but it does seem like some of the younger members of either party tend to lean toward the extremes, whereas, you know, once seasons with age, they tend to lean back more toward the middle. Am I wrong on that? I, I think you're primarily right. But then that when they get comfortable, any position, any political party lawmaker, if they get too comfortable that they're going to be easily reelected, then they tend to go a little toward either more liberal or more conservative. And, and we've seen that. That's why you have to have that turnover uh, yeah. uh, in Congress. But I think the new staff up on the Hill, the staffers, these are all young kids, if you will. I, I'm always impressed with their passion and their intellect. So I just think and hope that we get this at their boss's level now. Yeah. yeah and, and the other thing to watch, it's easy to be a renegade and be extreme when you're not in leadership. And you have to do those things oh, in order well to get said. some sort of attention. Right. So as you move into more of a leadership position, you, you maybe change a little bit. So that's something to to follow as well. 
Yes. As we're hoping for perhaps a more moderate Congress, Jim, uh, is Trump the guy to head up that moderation? Oh, absolutely not. I saw analysis the other day that when you look at states that definitely would never now vote for Trump, they add up to 201 electoral votes. And he would have to get the remain at 90 percent of the remaining electoral votes from the states. It's not going to happen. He will not be the next president. It was pretty clear this week. He, his goose is there. There's no excitement around him. He, oh, yeah. he like it, it's it. I, I described it as a whole hum affair. Um, he, he's lost some of that mojo. And, and the thing is, is that some of his base also supports DeSantis. So it's not like him versus Jeb Bush. He, he, he's he got a real, real competitor here uh, that uh, even he may uh, be sort of uh, not realizing how, how big of a competitor what he's really up against. Yes, to underscore, many America, many Republicans really like the Trump policy. They just worn uh, right. too thin on him. Yeah. Yeah, excellent, excellent. Fellas, we're going to shut her down right there. Um, you know what? Take next week off uh, for for holidays. Spend time with family and friends. I appreciate the conversation with you, fellas. And by the way, my dog prefers the term altered. Altered, but he still identifies as a dude. So we've, we've got that going for us. He wanted me to clarify that on the air. Jim Wiesmeyer, Pro Farmer Policy OG. Appreciate your time this morning. Have a great weekend, pal. Sure. Thank you. Sean Haney, Real Ag Radio, as always. I appreciate your insights, brother. Have a great weekend, pal. Thanks a lot, everybody. Cheers. Radio, this afternoon, the glorious return of Chip Flory himself. He'll have guest Mark Rempe from Quad Commodities for Wiesmeyer, Haney, and Big Apple Joe Stackler. It's Davis Michelson. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll talk to you this afternoon.